You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. Again, we've been walking through uh, Ephesians slowly, but we're, we're getting there. And uh, last time we were together, uh, we were looking at verse 9, uh, which is this unveiling of the mystery, uh, which is quite a phenomenal concept. And uh, what I'd like to do, <clears throat> again, is just uh, start in verse 7 and uh, read through verse 10, just kind of give you the context and the flow of what Paul is saying here. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes, In him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, And the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, which are on heaven and on earth. What a phenomenal passage. Uh, Again, look at verse 9. Paul says he's making known to us the mystery of Uh, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Uh, We've been walking through this idea of the mystery, and I've been talking about the fact that Paul uses this idea of mystery several times throughout his writings. And again, it shows up throughout the New Testament. And again, it's not a mystery in the sense of uh, we're not going to let you find out. We're going to kind of keep it a secret. It's not that kind of a mystery. The mystery here is it's something that you should know, and, and it's available for you to know, It's just that it's been hidden up to this point, and you need something, you need someone to remove that unveiling. The the top has to, or the the curtains have to be opened up, whatever the language is you want to use, and what is behind, the mystery itself, needs to be revealed. And again, Paul, as he's been walking through this, uh, in verse 7, says we have redemption and forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. And this grace, he has just lavished like a Niagara waterfall. He has just dumped it, just Woo, just poured it forth upon us in all wisdom and insight. And again, Paul is saying that God has given us the wisdom and the insight for us to even understand this incredible mystery. That there is, there is this phenomenal mystery, but you realize the only way for us to understand the mystery is that we must have the wisdom and the insight for us to understand the mystery. And that has been given to us. And again, as we were looking at this idea of the mystery, uh, the mystery, there, there's so many layers to the mystery, but the mystery itself simply is Jesus. Uh, the mystery simply is the cross. The mystery, in a very simplistic sense, is the totality of the gospel and all that it purchased. And again, there's so many layers to this. Uh, and even last, last time we were looking at just this idea of the mystery even hidden in the Old Testament. And again, it's not that it's hidden. It's just as we go back, we have a 2020 lens to see the history and say, oh, that's obviously what God was intending. God is obviously leading everything in the Old Testament up to this climactic conclusion, which is Jesus Christ, the cross, and the fullness of the gospel. Uh, What I want to do today is look again at verse 9, and it's this idea of he's making known to us the mystery. You realize that God's desire is not, again, that it's not that he's hiding a mystery. His desire is that you would know the mystery, that he's unveiling a mystery, and he is making known to us this incredible mystery. 
And again, just as a fresh reminder, uh, Romans, Romans, uh, Romans 11.36, I, I just love this. Again, Paul says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. What a great summary of this great mystery. This is all from him, through him, to him for his praise, glory, and his renown. So again, it's Jesus. It's, as an extension, the cross and the fullness of the gospel. It's, it's that forgiveness of sins, the redemption by faith in Christ Jesus, that we get to experience salvation, that we get to have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's, as Colossians 1.27 says, this mystery that's been hidden for ages and for generations is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? That the reality of the mystery is Jesus Christ himself, the fullness of his life being shined, uh, sh- shining forth from your existence. And again, there, again, there's so many layers to this. But he is making known to us the mystery. Now, it's interesting that that phrase, making known, now please stay seated, contain yourself. I know this is going to get exciting. But the phrase, making known, is a participle. Oh, I know, the nerds rejoice. <clears throat> now, again, for those who don't understand a participle, uh, a participle can function in a variety of ways. In this case, the participle, uh, it is not the main verb. The participle is a word that is giving action, it's giving substance to the main verb. Now, the struggle with this particular phrase, and it's interesting if you look up the scholars and you start you know, analyzing the scholars, scholars tend to be on two sides of the fence with this particular passage. Uh, some scholars suggest, well, it is a participle, however, the participle is standing alone and it's its own deal. Some scholars say, no, 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 as a participle, it is functioning as a participle, and therefore it's giving content and meaning to the main verb. And however you want to land probably doesn't matter in the long run, because it's, <laughs> it basically says the same thing. But look at the flow. If you look back at your scripture, at the passage, verse 7 again is, Paul's, Paul's in this flow. He's talking about the blessings we have in the Son. And in verse 7, he mentions the fact that we have redemption through the blood of Christ and forgiveness of sins. So we have this phenomenal working of Christ in our life, this salvific work through faith, belief in Christ Jesus, that we get to experience forgiveness and redemption. Now, Paul says that this is all according to the riches of his grace. That, that you and I get to experience the forgiveness and the redemption, the salvific work of Christ in our life because of the richness, the superlative reality of God's grace. But then he says that this grace, uh, verse 8, has been lavished upon us like a Niagara waterfall. And the main verb for the passage is lavished in verse 8. So it seems like the whole crux of the matter is, hey, he is lavished. He is just dumped. He is just poured forth his grace. And because of his grace, hey, we get to experience the salvific work of forgiveness and redemption in Christ Jesus. But as a participle then, this idea of making known gives essence or an understanding or content to the idea of being lavished. Uh, and you guys look confused. Uh, in other words, uh, Paul is dumping grace upon your life. Uh, he is just lavishly, like a Niagara waterfall, dumping this grace, which in the grace contains all wisdom and insight, verse 8. That you are receiving wisdom and insight for what purpose? <gasps> to understand the mystery. 
And so it seems like what Paul's trying to articulate, if you're thinking of it from a participle perspective, and again, you can say, well, why does this even matter? It matters. But the reason this even matters is this idea of making known, it's like making known is a part of the grace of God in your life. In other words, when we, when we begin to experience the grace of God in our life, again, grace is not merely just some cute hug of God upon our soul, right? It's not merely a pat on our head and saying, oh, I'll forgive you of your sins. The grace of God is so immense. The grace of God, yes, forgives us of sin, but the grace of God also enables us to live the life we were called to live. In other words, you are called to live the life of Christ. You are called to live in triumph and victory and, and the fullness of life. That we don't have to live under the tyranny of sin. That, that you and I don't have to wrestle under, under the chains of bondage any longer. That you and I can indeed walk in freedom and purity and victory and righteousness and holiness and triumph. What an amazing reality. Amen. Amen. But how is that possible? Well, not, not in and of ourselves. I mean, the best that we can pull off is filthy rags, according to the book of Isaiah. So obviously, I cannot live out the Christian life as I'm called to live. Which is why I need the enabling grace of God to come in and begin to pour forth his life in and through my own. That it's not just me living my life for Christ. Woo, isn't God lucky? See, that's not, the, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is allowing him to live his life in and through me. And when I have his life, his enabling grace, by his spirit flowing in my life, then somehow I'm able to live on a level that no, no time previously have I been able to live See, I, I, can, I can live in triumph. I can live in holiness. I can live in righteousness, but not because of Nathan. I can live in holiness and righteousness and purity and triumph because of the overwhelming, enabling grace of God in my life. What a phenomenal reality. And that grace of God, says Paul, he, he's given us wisdom and insight that, that in the grace of God, there is this container, there's this opportunity to have the wisdom and the insight of God. And I don't know about you, but I desperately need the wisdom of God in my life. And Paul, as a participle in this passage, is saying not, not only is he giving us his grace, his enabling grace, and not only is that grace extending the salvific work of Christ, not only is that grace giving us the wisdom and the insight, but that enabling grace is allowing us, he's, he's in the grace unveiling, he's making known to us the mystery. In other words, it seems like what Paul is saying here is it's not like, well, I get grace over here, I get wisdom and insight, oh, and he's also making on a mystery. It's that all of that is contained in this idea of you get his grace. That in the grace of God, the grace is so immense. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Why is it so amazing? Because it's not a pat on the head. Grace is so superior. It is a superlative grace. It is so over and above it. It is so phenomenal that the enabling grace of God gives us everything that we need for life and for godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. That all of that is contained in Christ Jesus. So again, the reason I think it's important to understand the fact that it's a participle, and again, don't get lost in all that, and if it confuses you, just throw it out. But the reason that that's important is to recognize that the way he's making this mystery known is because of his grace in my life. It's not like I need Jesus plus something else. I just need Jesus. And it is his enabling grace in my life. It's the spirit of God in my life that is bringing about all that I need to live out the Christian life. So this is not, I need, I need Jesus plus I need the mystery. This is, I need Jesus who is the mystery who becomes everything I need in my life. Does that make any sense? 
In other words, get lost in Jesus. And don't go, well, God, I need, I need, I need you to unveil the mystery. He has unveiled the mystery. It's in his grace as he just lavishes that upon you. And again, I, I love this idea that it's not that he just gives you a little bit of grace. He's not just giving you a little bit of wisdom and insight. He's not just sort of pulling back the blinders of this mystery. He is dumping like a Niagara waterfall this grace upon your life. So this wisdom and insight, it's not a little bit. It's this, this understanding of the mystery is not like, well, if you're really good, I'll, 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 I'll unveil some more. This is, he is dumping this. He's unveiling it. He's uncloaking this whole thing. And we should be in awe of the wonder, the reality of what he is doing in this great mystery, which is himself. Now, um, by the way, if you really want to be really nerdy, uh, scholars suggest that this particular participle, the way Paul is using it, is a circumstantial participle. <laughs> I mean, contain your excitement. Uh, which basically just means, and I'm going to have to read this because obviously I'm not as high, high-minded as this, but a circumstantial participle, it means that the participle expresses the conditions or circumstances by which the action occurs. In other words, this idea of the lavishment of his grace, the conditions or circumstances that surround this whole thing is the making known. So I want to talk about that. This idea of he's making known. Uh, if you hang around me probably more than a day or two, uh, it's, it's not hard to pick up on the fact that there's this concept. Uh, there is a word in the Greek that I really love. In fact, it's hands down my favorite Greek word. I have a few, I've got like five favorite Greek words. This is at the very top of them. Uh, this is like, if you were to boil my life down into a word, this, this might be the word. Maybe, I think. <laughs> uh, the word for making known in the Greek uh, it's the Greek word ganorisas. But what's phenomenal about this word is the root word of this making known is the Greek word gnosko. Now, if you're a student, uh, we've talked through all this and um, we, we've, gonna ha- we've had a whole session on this idea of gnosko. But for those who are listening who haven't heard this idea, I just want to walk through it really quickly. Uh, in the Greek, uh, Greek again is a very thick language. Uh, Greeks uh, English is a thin language. Uh, English, we have like one word for the word love. In Greek, there's four different concepts for love, and they're, they're each given a different word. Uh, the Greeks used to just debate philosophy down on the street corner for just, just for kicks and giggles, right, for fun. Why? Because they had a language that allowed them to do it. It was very, again, it's a very thick language. And the beautiful thing about both Hebrew and Greek is that they're both very picturesque, meaning they, they just, they paint pictures. Every word paints a picture. And again, as, as being a very visual person, I love the fact that as you're, as you're getting into a language or getting into a word study, you, you start seeing this painting, if you will, of whatever the word portrays. Well, the word know or knowledge in Greek, there's, again, there's a variety of ways, ways it's used, but there's three primary Greek words for the word knowledge. Uh, one of them has to do with facts, data, information. Right? It's a textbook kind of thing. It's the newspaper kind of a thing. Two plus two is four kind of a thing. Uh, so it's facts, data, information. There's another kind of knowledge, which is the idea of perception and, and understanding. So I, I perceive that. Oh, I, I get that. Uh, in, in Scripture, a lot of times it's translated, oh, Jesus saw them. And again, it's not just a physical sight. It's like this perception. It's this insight. Like I am perceiving this morning that a few of you are tired. 
Why? Well, because I'm physically seeing you sitting in the chairs, but I'm perceiving something beyond you just sitting in the chair. That make sense? So there's that idea of knowledge, but again, it's perception and it's understanding. Uh, Sandy calls me on the phone, and just by the tone of her voice, I know whether she's having a good or a bad day. And she always has good days. <laughs> in fact, I, I love the fact that, you know, part of the times when she calls me on the phone, my response is, oh, Sandy, that, that dress you are wearing is absolutely beautiful. And of course, she's like, oh, thank you so much. And then, how'd you know? I'm like, because you're Sandy, I just know, right? <laughs> that there's a, there's a perception, there, there's an understanding that whether or not it's a physical sight thing, I, I, I see it, I, I get it, right? It's Sandy McConaughey, so we know she's beautiful, right? So, so there's, <laughs> poor Sandy's crouching in the back. I am perceiving something from Sandy right this moment, and then I'm going to get a talking to later. So there's this idea, again, there's fact, state, information, there's this idea of perception or understanding, and then there's this idea of knowledge, which is the word gnosko, which is knowing something, and it's not, again, not knowing in the sense of, do you know academically? This is not knowing in the sense of, hey, do you perceive it? Gnosko is the idea of knowing something, but you know it because you've experienced it, that there's a relationship, there, there's an intimacy of the knowing. And again, this word shows up all over Scripture. It's, just, it's a phenomenal word. Uh, as an example, uh, you're driving down the road and you see a, uh, see, a, see a number, right? And we go, oh, the speed limit is 35 miles an hour. Now, you know that, but how do you know it? It's fact, state, information. That's a whole different level of knowing than if you get pulled over, right? Because if you get pulled over and you get a cute little yellow receipt, right, that you've actually got to spend time with, with, the, with the police officer, and you have to pay $247, hypothetically, right, to participate in this adventure, right? You know the speed limit on a whole nother level, right? How did you know? You, you experienced the speed limit, right? That's this idea of Gnosko. Uh, again, uh, one of my favorite concepts with Gnosko is the cute old couple, right? Uh, so here's this cute old couple, and you, you know cute old couples, they, they're, I mean, they're cute, first of all, right? That's why we call them cute old couples. And they're old, and they've, they've spent a whole lifetime together, and you look at this cute old couple, and you just, your heart begins to melt, and you're just like, oh, I love cute old couples. And isn't it interesting that cute old couples, it's like they start to talk like each other, right? They have their language. They don't even have to, like, they don't even have to use verbal words. They just look at each other, and they know what each other are thinking. Quit looking at Sandy, right? But... <laughs> Right, but you know, like, the, you just, like when Dan and Sandy, they look at each other and they just, they know what each other are thinking. Why? They've spent so much time together. Right? Cute old couples, they start to talk like each other, they start to act like each other, they start to look like each other. Right? What is it? That's knowing somebody, but you know them so well. Again, it's not facts. It's not, well, yeah, they're 5'9", likes long walks on the beach, blue eyes, blonde hair, whatever. Right? It's, it's, you're, you're spending so much time with somebody that you're getting to know their heart and their passions and their excitements, and, and, and it's growing and growing. And gnosko, again, the idea of gnosko is that this thing grows, this thing expands, that this thing gets better and better and better year by year by year. So could you imagine having that with Jesus? Again, John 17, 3, Jesus is talking about, hey, this is eternal life. Oh, Jesus, what is eternal life? Because it's it probably good if we want eternal life to know what eternal life is. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they might gnosko you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom they've sent. 
whom you sent. That there's this idea that what is eternal life? Eternal life is not knowing about Jesus. Eternal life is getting wrapped up in Jesus, with Jesus. Just, hey, just build your life upon him. Hey, just, just get your life drenched in the person of Jesus. That, that the Christian life is not facts and data and information. Hey, do you go to church? Do you pay your tithes? Do you listen to the preacher? Do you take notes? You know, all this kind of stuff. See, that's not the Christian life. What is the Christian life? The Christian life is intimacy. The, the Christian life is relationship. The Christian life is experiencing the reality of life, not just knowing information about the life. What good is knowing about the life if you don't experience the life? Sandy makes phenomenal chocolate chip cookies. I'm just, I could bring up Sandy because she's here. But Sandy makes phenomenal chocolate chip cookies. Ask Eric. Uh, every time Sandy brings out chocolate chip cookies, Eric at least eats half a dozen. No joke. And he's, he's strategic, right, because he'll, he'll pick up two or three in the first handful and eat those. And then after a few minutes, he'll be like, hey, we probably need to eat these cookies that Sandy has so graciously made. So he goes and grabs like two more. And by the end of, the, the end of our meetings, you know, he's had, you know, half a dozen, a dozen of them. Now, you can know that Sandy makes phenomenal chocolate chip cookies, but that is completely different than experiencing the chocolate chip cookie. There's a huge difference, isn't there? And all of you are wishing at this very moment that you could be experiencing the heavenly portions of love called Sandy McConaughey's chocolate chip cookies. Well, the same thing's true about Jesus. You understand, this is not, do you know about Jesus? Do you have the facts about Jesus? Do you have the information? Do you have all the details? Hey, do you know your stories? Hey, can you quote the scriptures? Do you know the, do you know the? See, that's all good and fine. There's nothing bad about that. But if that's all you have, that is insufficient. See, you can have all the right information, and you'll still die and go to hell. Why? Because this is not about information. This is about a transformation as you begin to experience the living God himself. And so what is eternal life? Eternal life is not academics. The eternal, the eternal life is getting wrapped up in the relationship, the intimacy, the experience of life itself. His name is Jesus. That is Christianity. Now, that's this idea of gnosko. So let's look at the passage again. Paul is saying that Jesus has lavished, that he has dumped like a Niagara waterfall, this grace upon us. And again, within this grace is the redemption and the forgiveness of sins which is just, is just a phenomenal reality. But in the middle of this grace, he is making known to you the mystery. Now, I read that, and I immediately think of academics. I, I read that, and I immediately think, oh, he's giving me information about the mystery. He's going to unveil the mystery. So he's going to give me a, you know, a three-page document that has bullet points of here is the mystery. That, that's not this passage. See, the passage, what the, the overwhelming reality of the passage is not knowing about the mystery. It is experiencing the mystery. See, how am I going to know the mystery? He's not revealing the facts, the data, and the information. See, he's not even giving me a perception and an understanding of the mystery. He is sucking me into the mystery itself, and I, somehow in the reality of Christ, get to intimately, relationally experience the grand mystery which is himself. Isn't that a great thought? Again, he's, he's not giving me details about a mystery as if he wants me to, to pass some test at the end of a semester. He's unveiling his heart. He's, he's opening himself up. He's inviting me in, and he's unveiling the mystery. But how is he going to reveal the mystery? <gasps> himself. Intimately experiencing himself. 
Again, we were just saying that this is not facts and data information kind of stuff. And again, it's, I, I find it humorous in our culture today that Christianity has been truncated or, or diminished to this idea of the true and false test. Right? And so, so we go up to somebody and, you know, did, did, did Jesus come to earth? Yes, true. You know, did he die upon the cross? True. Did he rise from the dead? True. Woo! You're a Christian! Congratulations! Well, that's not true. Because you could, you could go up to Satan and be like, did Jesus come to earth? True. Did he die upon the cross? True. Did he rise again? True. Woo! You're a Christian! No. No, no, that's, that is not true. So, hey, the demons, hey, they know. They tremble. But they don't have what we're talking about. So what is the difference? See, one is academic. One's purely knowledge, information. The other one is intimate. It's relational. It's experienced. See, I don't just know about life. I'm experiencing life. I don't just know about the mystery. I'm experiencing the mystery. See, this, this, is, this is intimate. Again, when I, when I went to seminary, it's fascinating that I had, I had, there's all these people who knew a lot about Jesus who didn't know Jesus. That they had all the facts, they had all the data, they had all the information. Hey, that they could debate you up and down. They had all the big terminology, and hey, they knew, they knew their Bible stories, and they, hey, they knew the details, and they knew, they knew Hebrew, they knew Greek. They, they had all the information, but their inner life was dead. There was no fruit. It was just there was hardness, there was death, hey, there was there was depression. Some of them were even doubting their faith, and yet they had all the information. What is that? That's I don't want. I'm not interested in that. That that it, I, I would rather be dumber than a rock and ugly too but have life. I would rather be dumber than a rock and ugly too, but experience the real thing. I'd rather have no information or very little information. And again, I'm not against the information. Information's great. Study the Bible academically. There's, hey, that's all, that's all well and good. In fact, you should do that. But not at the expense of the life. Not at the expense of the transformation. Not at the expense of not having the real thing. See, what is the point of all the information? The point of the information is to get you into the life to get you into the mystery, to get you smack dab in the middle of the person. So again, this, this goes to this idea of the idea of personal. You realize that if he is making known to you the mystery of his will, this is not sit down in a classroom and I'm going to walk through this point by point by point. Let's talk about the mystery. See, he's inviting you in to experience the mystery, which means this thing is a personal even the whole tone of the passage, it almost sounds like it's not a big group thing. It's like he's sitting down with you over a cup of coffee, and God's saying, oh, can I reveal the mystery to you? And it's intimate. It's personable. It's, it's, it's one-on-one kind of stuff. Uh, in fact, let me, let me read this to you. Uh, one scholar talking about this passage was talking about this undercurrent of relationship and personal interaction. And, and listen, listen to what he says. <clears throat> the scholar says, the words he made known to us show that there is not only a salvation historical dimension to the mystery, but also a personal one. The recipients of this disclosure are the Christian community who are thus able to praise God for his great kindness lavished on them. They are not some group of initiates, but those who have received the word of God, for it is in the effective preaching and teaching of the gospel that the revelation of the mystery takes place. He's saying, do you not realize that this isn't just some historical information? This isn't just some stuff that God's trying to pass on to you. That this is a personal thing. This is intimate. This is close. This is, this is relational. 
So this mystery that is being made known to you, again, it's, it's, a, it's a whole aspect of the grace of God being dumped upon your life. But you realize this, this make known to you, that he's making known to the mystery, is not academic, it's not information, it's, it's intimate. And not just intimate, but it's personal. Which then brings us to a personal application. <clears throat> For most of us, seems like in our modern generation, I'll just lump everybody together. It seems like most of us in the Christian church today, church has become duty. It's become obligation. It's become something we check off our list. It's the chapter day keeps the devil away kind of stuff. Right? I go through the motions. Why? Because, well, I'm, I'm supposed to go through the motions. If I'm a good Christian, this is what good Christianity looks like. So it's a list of duties. It's a list of laws. It's a list of obligations. It's a, it's a have-to list. But that's not Christianity. Oh, well, then I'll, I'm going to go and learn all that I can, get all the information, and have all the academics, and, and do Bible quizzing so I know the verses. And, and Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not, that's not Christianity. See, a lot of us are so strong on having intellectual doctrine correct. In other words, we, we're, we're, hey, we're wrestling through biblical doctrine, and we really want to make sure our doctrine is accurate. And that's good. That's really good. Please make sure your doctrine is correct. That, is, that it's being formed scripturally. But I don't want to have a heady knowledge of correct doctrine, but then have behavioral heresy. In other words, where my life is not living up to the reality of what Scripture is saying. That I have it in my head, but I don't have it in my life. That's still heresy. That I may have the correct doctrine intellectually, but if that's not producing itself in my life, what good was the information? So for my personal application then, is this true in my life? Is the reality of Christ true in my life? Is Christianity merely a list of facts and data and information? Is it merely a list of a checklist that I have to do? Or is Christianity life? Because Christianity is about the one who is life. His name is Jesus. See, I don't, I don't want to get so wrapped up that I know a lot about Jesus, but fail to know Jesus. See, I, I don't want to have all the verses memorized, but then not living out any of the verses. See, I, I don't want to have just great intellectualism where I can use big terminology and I can debate people, but then you look at my life and I'm just, I'm full of anger and I'm full of greed and I'm full of lust, I'm full of just hatred, I'm full of just... See, what good is that? that that's not Christianity. That, that's just intellectualism. See, what, what, what Paul is calling us to in the passage is not just to know about Jesus, it is to know Jesus. And again, there's nothing wrong with the academics. And hey, you should study and you should know. and hey, That's all great. But that should drive you to knowing, gnoscoing the life itself. So, so get the full of what Paul is saying. Paul says oh, that you and I, in Christ Jesus, get to experience forgiveness and redemption in Christ Jesus. That, that, is just, that alone is amazing. The salvific work of Christ through our faith in him. Not only that, but he is dumping, he is lavishing his grace upon us in all wisdom and insight. That he is making everything that we need available to somehow comprehend this great mystery. And yes, there is an intellectual component to it, but Paul is very specific saying it's not just an intellectual endeavor. He's given us all wisdom and insight so that we can get wrapped up in the middle of the mystery and experience 
the mystery itself, which is a person, his name is Jesus. Do you have that? Do you have life, or do you just know about life? Are you experiencing victory, or do you just know that it's possible? Are you, are you walking in triumph, or is it just some hope that you have for someday in the future? Is holiness a mark of your life, or is it, well, yeah, but maybe at some point God can do something? Are, are you experiencing the righteousness of him because he is our robe of righteousness that I'm clothed within? Or is it, well, yeah, I know about it. Could, could we somehow move past the intellectualism? Could we move past the elementary understanding and move to the greater reality, which is knowing, gnoscoing the fullness of Jesus Christ? This is eternal life, says Jesus, that they might gnosko me. That you get all wrapped up in intimacy and oneness and experience the living God. This is eternal life, says Jesus. And isn't it an amazing thought that God is revealing himself to us? But he's not revealing himself to us merely in a textbook. He's not revealing us to himself in terms of a checklist He's not revealing himself to us because of a newspaper clipping. He's revealing, to him, he's revealing himself to us intimately, personally, relationally. He's inviting us in to experience life, to experience this mystery, which is Jesus Christ, the fullness of the gospel, the work upon, his, work upon the cross. I want us to experience that, not just know about it. Now, next time, <clears throat> uh, we're going to try to finish verse 9. Uh, but we're going to look at verse 9 and 10. And there's four aspects. We're actually we're going to wrap up verse 9 and 10. But we're going to look at four aspects. So if you want to study, uh, let me give you these four aspects really quick. Uh, uh, four aspects of this mystery. Paul says this mystery is according to his good pleasure. Number two, which he purposed in himself. Three, as a plan for the fullness of time. And four, to unite all things in Christ, which are in heaven and on earth. We're going to look at the four, those four aspects of this great mystery. Uh, so if you want to study ahead, uh, feel free to do that. But uh, let's pray. <clears throat> oh, Lord, I want to know you. But Lord, I don't want to just know you academically. I want to know you intimately, relationally, experientially. Lord, I, w- I want to be like a cute old couple with you. <laughs> That the more I spend with you, the more, more your heart, I just begin to, ex- oh, the more I know you. And somehow the more I know you, the more I talk like you and act like you. In fact, I start to look like you. Lord, what would it look like if, if what you are doing in my life, the, the intimacy and the relationship, the, the fullness of Christianity. So what if this thing truly does expand and get better and better and better? Like, like the Ezekiel River, it just somehow deepens. The, the more we progress in you, somehow it's just like, it, we just deepen in the reality of who you are. See, Lord, what would it look like if I'm not the same as I am now five years from now? See, see what if one month from now I, I know you more? See, what would my life look like if in five years or in ten years or in twenty years this thing would just grow and expand and deepen? And Lord, I want that. And Lord, Paul makes it clear that you are unveiling, you are making known to us the great mystery, which is yourself. The reality of the cross, the fullness of life, the depth of all that you're longing to do because of the cross, 
the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the victorious, the victorious, triumphant, holy reality that we can live in. Lord, I want to know that, not just in head knowledge. I don't want to just know that because I've read it somewhere. I don't want to just know it with some hope that I'll have it in the future. Lord, I want to experience it. I want to have life now. And Lord, your word promises that. So Lord, I, I want to move forward in, into that reality, which is not something, it's someone, it's you. So Lord, I pray that you would put blinders upon my gaze and that I would be pressing forward into the fullness of who you are. Not to know about you, but to know you. To get wrapped up in relationship, intimacy, and experience with the living God. Lord, forgive me for the times that I've made you mere information. That I've made Christianity a merely academic pursuit. Lord, could you move all the academics and all the information and press me to the fullness of life. Lord, I don't want to have correct doctrine intellectually, but then have behavioral heresy. So Lord, would you change my heart? Would you change my mind? Would you change my lips? Would you change my inner attitude and emotions if necessary? Will you, will you do whatever is necessary in my life so that my life, my behavior, exhibits this reality as well? Lord, what an amazing, oh, what a phenomenal thought that you have lavished your grace upon us. And that through your enabling grace, it's not just you're, you're drawing us in to know you intimately. Oh, we want that, Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity. Just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. No, I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.